beside getting baptized in holy water and shine with the dogs running. Thank you uh, for tuning in this segment of the show. And I have a very amazing guest who actually I just got to view some of the film at CPAC. And he is going to share about his latest home. He's an actor. He's a director. His name is Nick Loeb. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I didn't realize you got you. That's right. You saw it at CPAC. Yes. And it was quite the buzz, man. I mean, the, uh, you know, everybody was talking about the film and uh, that's good because they should be. This is probably one of the most uh, concept, you know, everybody needs to see this to get the backstory and understand the history about Roe v. Wade, because I think the problem is most people don't understand how all this came to be. How did you get involved in this project? I was looking at some of the past films that you did, and it, it doesn't really uh, match up with some of your past work. So how did this all start, Nick? You know, I, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, you know, a friend of mine approached me about um about the idea I, I was first i was in shock that hollywood never made a roe v wade movie i mean it's the right. most famous court case in american history they didn't really make a real movie about it and so i did well maybe because it was a boring you know it was boring court case and so i started to research into it and realized it was like a an oliver stone-esque you know conspiracy movie that's right and i said this is you know this is not only you know as a hollywood guy you're not a faith-based guy I, you know, I tend to look for stuff that's going to be entertaining and fun and interesting. And uh, so, uh, you, you know, when I researched it, I was like, this is going to be great. And that was it. Yeah, you probably never anticipated the journey. And I know there's a couple people that are friends of mine that have worked with you. And, you know, they kind of told me a little bit about some of the things you guys have been through. Do you want to share any of the experience of since you've been making the film, some of the attack you've come up against? Uh, give us a little insight on that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think, you know, standard, uh, first of all, I think it's challenging making an independent film no matter what. So I, you know, but, you know, I think there were some extra challenges because we tackled this issue. I think if we, you know, no matter where we stood on the issue, I think there was going to be challenges. But so, I mean, yeah, we had everything from uh, agencies telling their actors not to do the movie, to difficulties fundraising, to getting locked out of locations. Um, but on the flip side of it, we had an outpouring of, of support. Uh, uh, you know, anytime, you know, the funny thing is anytime we ran out of money, um, money showed up. Yeah. It was bizarre. Um, you know, amazing? Oh, yeah. you know, even just the last week. So, um, wow. you know, um, we had no money for advertising and out of the blue, some guy came and said, Hey, you guys want some money for advertising and wrote a huge check. And now we'll we're going to have like oh, it's, the, the journey of this has been sort of uh, surreal. Yeah, I mean, you know, not, not to make the comparison, but I guess I will in some aspects, but you know, when Mel Gibson made The Passion, that was like a life-changing thing for him, you know, and I talked to Ben Caviezel, he's been on the program, and you know, um, you know, Jim, Jim Caviezel, excuse me, uh, and you know, it, it kind of reminds me, because this is a groundbreaking film, man, I mean, this is, you're, you're, you're bringing a storyline that, that it's such a big polarizing spiritual issue of our nation in our time and yet people really don't have much information other than a few films that have been you know maybe made but none of them really articulated in the way that you did here how did you guys write this i mean obviously it's a it's a real life story but you know who who brought it together and how did that all come to be 
I mean, I did. I mean, you know, I, I just um, we had to I had to figure out uh, how to tell the story, which was challenging because you can't tell the story based on, on a court case. You have to find movies are told by characters. You know, you follow a journey of a character. Um, and, and and you know, we went through multiple different protagonists. I mean, we had, you know, one guy and we did more research about the analysis and then we we literally had a final script and then we somebody said, well, have you thought about, you know, you you Bernard Davidson in your script, maybe he should be the really be the protagonist. And um and so we 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 sort of went all over the place, back and forth. Um and um and finally we just sort of this, it came to be in this. And we had a lot of different characters. It was a bigger movie at one point, um, maybe a little more complicated. Um, but you know, it ended up what we have. Yeah, well, it, it's a it's a great film, and uh, it's going to be coming out. Tell us about some of the people that are in. I know John Boyd. Who else is in the in the film? Yeah, you know, we got Robert Davi, John Schneider, Stacy Dash, Corbin Burson, yeah. Jamie Kennedy, Joey Lawrence. Uh, you know, it's it's quite a cast. I mean, it's sort of you're much younger than I am, but I'm I'm 45, and so I grew oh, up. Oh, thank you for saying that. I'm actually your age, man. <laughs> oh, really? Well, you look, yeah. you look, you look, you hey, look uh, must years be younger than I am. <laughs> I'm just, you know, more stressed than you, but anyway, <laughs> more gray hair. And uh, so I mean, we grew up with these guys, I and mean, I grew up, we grew up with um, yeah. you know, Teresa Hazard. I was thinking Joey Lawrence, yeah, yeah. You know? And so this was like, for me, it was like, it was like a fantasy getting to direct these guys, and uh, you know, heroes of my youth. Yeah. Now, you, your family—you know, partially—you have a pretty interesting story. But part of your family is uh, in the finance sector, right? So, how did you jump from being in that world to being in filmmaking? All that. I, you know, I, I never—I mean, I tried finance. I never really sort of took to it. Uh, I studied finance in school. I, when I graduated, Tulane, I went right to go work for Universal Studios. Actually, my uncle at the time uh, had bought Universal, so I went to go oh. work. Uh, so there was some family in, 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 and so there was a little nepotism there, yeah. um, but it didn't, it, you know, it gave me a good entree and help, but it, you know, sometimes, you know, I think in, especially in Hollywood, I, that doesn't always help today, you know, nepotism, um, right. actually sometimes right. it creates, it creates barriers. Yeah. Um, so there was, it was a challenging road. So I was in and out of the business starting, you know, I've been in and out of the business since I was, probably 20 years old starting out there and, and doing before that, you know, theater and school and writing and directing. And so I've been doing it over 20 years. So, yeah, I know the, the Hollywood world. Well, I passed through there for 17 years. I was a child actor. I mean, I, you know, done all kinds of stuff. In Hollywood. Oh, yeah, yeah. I partied like a crazy man before I got saved as a Christian. So, uh, know the whole, the whole thing, man, a total story of redemption. It's, it's a tough area. Uh, tough world to, to live. How, how are you being uh, received for this film in in the world of Hollywood? Because I know this is a touchy subject in that world. Oh, I, you know, I just, you know, uh, I don't go back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not out <laughs> right now. And I don't, I mean, listen, I, I think that, I mean, let's see what happens. I think you know, it was very challenging during, I mean, at, you know, when the press came, it became very difficult. Um, <clears throat> and listen, everybody's got short memories. It'll come, it'll go. Um, you know, it, it is, it is, it is what it is. Now, is this, is there a connection to your faith in this or is it just something you had on your heart? Zero. Or? Zero. Zero. And I, and I think that actually brings more credibility to the film, to be quite honest, because yeah. 
you know, I, I was not raised very religious. Um, my father was Jewish. My mother was Episcopalian. I was baptized, but really, truly raised by an Irish Catholic nanny. So, okay. kind of like, you know, all, all over the place. I probably spent more time going to Catholic mass. <clears throat> but all, all of those influences in my life really, you know, created a, a, a moral guideline, right? Mm. Not necessarily a religious one, you know. Um, there was no, you know, implications of Jesus Christ and like, you know, spirituality. It's really about doing right and wrong and, you know, learning this, you know, Bible stories and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, uh, do I believe in God now? Yes, but I don't, I, I don't hang my hat on any one particular religion. And I don't, my religion is not what motivated, you know, my belief in God is not what drove me to make the film. Yet making the film has exacerbated my belief in God. Wow. Interestingly yeah. enough. Yeah. Well, that, that's similar to what Jim Caviezel was saying, too, is that, you know, going through his film, it, it, you know, he had all these experiences along the way. And all of a sudden he started having a closer, you know, walk. Yeah. Uh, and I've had, a, you know, I've got all these crazy experiences along the way with Roe over this four year period, which is which is driven me more closer to to God. Yeah. Yet I, I it probably, you know, much more than I've ever been in my life. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that the message of the film is really eye-opening and I think a lot of people will come to understand more about the situation and, and you're helping do that in this film that you have written. And, uh, you know, how can people go see the film? How can they support the work you're doing? What, what's a good way to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, you can actually pre-order the movie right now on iTunes. It's out on iTunes, um, but it'll be for those of you who, who don't, um, we're not friends with Steve Jobs. Um, you guys can go on Amazon okay. uh, April 2nd. Uh, and if you don't like Jeff Bezos, you, you know, you can go to Google uh, <laughs> April <lot>. 2nd. <laughs> um, but other than that, it'll be every satellite and cable, whether it's Comcast, uh, uh, AT&T, whatever. It'll be on every on-demand uh, all over the country, April 2nd, Good Friday, yeah. uh, Easter weekend, um, you know, go see it, pre-order it now. Yeah. Awesome, man. I have to tell you, we have a large, you know, as a faith-based audience on this show and, a, you know, large contingent have been praying for life and, you know, against the attack of the unborn in our nation. And so we're so thankful for what you did, Nick, and what you're doing out there, Thank man. You. We're going to be praying for you, man. And I appreciate uh, that. Listen, you have an open door to come on this program anytime and we'll put all the links up and uh, please stay in touch with us, my friend. God bless you. All right. God bless you. We'll be right back with more of The Remedy. We will hear arguments in Roe against Wade. You may proceed. If you really want to know how abortion became legal in our country, I will tell you the true story. Dr. Mildred Jefferson, would you like to head up a Right to Life group that I'm starting? Dr. Bernard Nathanson's clinics are performing a thousand abortions per week. That's why I'm taking up the fight. I wanted to get abortion legalized across the country. We're looking for a pregnant girl to challenge the abortion laws. We'll give her a pseudonym, call her Jane Roe. It's genius that we no one will ever know about her past. First they came after the Jews, and then they came after the mentally deficient. We did nothing, and now they're coming after the unborn. And so you're gonna do nothing? Robert Byrd for Henry Wade. No judge or jury in their right mind would ever let abortion happen in Texas. watching too much TV. This case has nothing to do with women's rights. It's God's duty to forgive. It's ours to rule the law. You're changing your vote because your family found out. 
or, or was it the media? If we don't sort this out, fur will fly today. You were trying to control this Warren, old buddy. That is completely unethical. In a matter of Roe v. Wade, I want the case re-argued. Faith in God, respect for his law. That law being? Human law. We got the majority. We're gonna win. Perhaps this is beyond the authority of the Supreme Court. We are the law of the land. These girls should not be put through the pregnancy and should be entitled to an abortion. God forgive you, what have I done? The true silent minority. Who is speaking for these children? Abortion. Abortion. Wow. Since 1973, the United States has killed over 70 million viable children in the womb. This is abortion by choice. Friends, right now, get off the table the less than 1% that have to be aborted uh, because of the mother's uh, uh, life or to the threat of the mother's life. We understand that. When that's the situation and the baby is going to kill the mother uh, by whatever's going on on the inside of mom, then I think all of us in the universe agree that that uh, medical procedure, that termination of the pregnancy of that little guy, that little girl, is something that is necessary for the life of the mother. Let's remove that off the table now. Let's remove rape off the table, such a teeny tiny, less than 1% amount, other things like that. Let's just talk about the bulk of elective abortions. This is the decision that I don't wanna be pregnant. I got pregnant, don't wanna be pregnant. And so uh, I, I could have the kid, I'm healthy enough to have the kid, don't want the kid, I wanna get rid of the kid. And so let's talk about that. Again, 60 plus million. Now, more kids have died in the womb since 1973 than all those who died in the Vietnam War. Think of that. Uh, it's epic. Uh, so here's what the Bible, the Bible says, for example, uh, a lot about terminating the life of a baby. And the scripture makes this clear announcement uh, regarding us who are alive. By the way, Ronald Reagan said, isn't it funny? Everybody who's for abortion are those who have already been born. Reagan said all those who are for abortion happen to be all those who have already been born. I think if you could interview the baby inside the womb, the baby would be all about life, would be all about living. The Bible says that that's a human. That is a person that has been engineered by God. God is the designer. He says in Psalm 139 that he's in the inward parts of mom making that baby come together. It's remarkable. It's awesome. Now, if you don't believe in God, then you can just kill anything, it doesn't matter. But most of Americans believe in God. Great news is, a tremendous change in our culture regarding abortion, and I'm so happy to report that the bulk of the change has happened with the young generation. The millennials and those um, even coming behind the millennials, uh, believing in God or not believing in God, are unexplainably pro-life. That's why you're seeing a great, great decline in abortion clinics. Uh, abortion mills that are in effect uh, are having a hard time finding nurses and doctors and thank God for that. Their support base, their, their uh, 
In income feed is drying up. Why? Because people are seeing it that it's wrong. I personally, this is my opinion, I personally believe that abortion has, uh, has got the bad name that it does now because of technology. You can now see via technology right from the get-go uh, what's happening on the inside of mom-to-be, all the life, all of the engineering, all of the science. And young people are impressed by that, and so I'm grateful. But the Bible tells us on a moral side of it that in Micah chapter 6, verse 7, you, you see there where the, the woman is contemplating uh, regarding her relationship to God and her pregnancy that she has discovered. She says, shall I give the fruit of my womb because of the transgression of my soul? Shall I offer the sacrifice of my baby for what I've done? Boy, that could be on the front page of today's newspaper. Isn't that the real logic behind these 60 million plus abortions is, wow, I need, I need to terminate this because I'm in college or I'm young and, and we've been sold a bill of goods. That's the only choice. It's not the only choice. Adoption. People are in line. There's not enough babies in America to adopt. Let's put them up for adoption. But this we know for sure. Counseling with women, counseling with others who have suffered the issue of abortion. Why are the mothers after decades after decades weeping over the death of that child? What's the psychology of that? I have presided over many funerals, memorial services I should call them, with moms who sacrificed their baby for whatever reason 20 years ago. They had to get closure. Why? Because it is a spiritual issue. It's life. And people know that it's not the right thing to do. So listen, when you go to vote this election, you need to vote for those who are pro-life. Please, I hope I'm speaking to a more sophisticated group of people who would never even be tempted to vote party lines because it's the choice they made. I like the color red or blue. I like donkeys over elephants. I mean, that's insane, right? Well, my mom and dad, they've always been Republicans or they've always been Democrat. That's not a logical reason. Listen, know what are the issues before you. Know what they are and then vote your biblical worldview. It's easy. God is for life, so you vote pro-life. If you have a candidate, in fact, in California, for those of you who might view this in California, we've got one very bold candidate saying, I am for the baby's life. And then we have an equally very bold uh, candidate who's saying, I believe that abortion's okay, that it's the mother's choice. And I love that verbiage for this reason. Clear choices to make as to who to vote for, but let's spend the rest of our time talking about this word choice. The best argument that the pro-abortionist has is, I believe in the woman's right to her own body. So do I. I believe in a person's choice. So do I. No problem. So what's your issue? What are you saying? I'm saying this. Let's be honest. We make choices and then there's results. It's a fact. Hey, you invest a dollar in a company that's earning and growing and that dollar is going to be 10 bucks by the end of the week, okay? If you um, grab a hold of that wall socket right there, knowing there's electricity flowing through it and you lick the plate of that wall socket and you get electrocuted, you knew the electricity was in the wall, you licked that outlet and you got your hair fried. 
made a decision, it's a result. Now listen carefully, let's be very clear about this. I'm just talking biology, I'm talking science here. Forget about God right now. If you get together with somebody, male and female, as God designed it, but male, female, let's say, for those of you, if you're an evolutionist, as evolution decreed, and you hook up and you get together, biology kicks in. Real true, awesome chemistry happens, and you get pregnant. What happened? You made a choice to hook up, and the choice you make created a baby. So you now you have a, a, an outcome to a decision happening. But when somebody says, I believe in the mother's right to her own body, here's where it gets sticky. The baby inside mom is not her body. It's the miracle of scientific life. Inside mom, in the miracle of humanity, in the miracle of life itself, even in animal life, that baby inside is a completely autonomous individual. It's not, a, it, it, it's not a health issue. It's not any other kind of an issue. It is awesome. It is life. But when somebody says, well, I believe it's the mother's right to terminate the pregnancy, you have an ethical, logical conundrum. You're trying to make something fit, but it won't fit. That's a separate human being inside the mother that's viable. And God says for us who are alive to speak up and to defend those who have no voice, those who have been destined to destruction. God considers the unborn child a real living human being. And we need to do the same thing. And so listen, please listen. I know what I said a moment ago might sound kind of harsh. It is scientific and it is a fact. But listen, friends, we need to wake up to the reality that our decisions have consequences. So we need to weigh them out very carefully. And we need to understand that sex that is conducted without restraint brings about heartache, brings about possible disasters. But no matter what these things bring about to us in practice, it's never right to do something wrong and make it worse by compounding murder. That's what abortion is, murder of a viable human being, bringing that into the mix of guilt and shame. Hey, listen, if you've suffered from an abortion, God forgives all manner of sin. It was a sin. It was a sin for that man to be getting you pregnant, and it was a sin for you to agree to have such a thing go on. Both are guilty, but God can forgive sin. He forgives sin when we go to him and say, Lord, I was wrong and I repent of that and I see where I sinned against you. And then finally this, I'm very happy to be talking to you about this topic because I'm a survivor of an abortion. In December, just before Christmas in 1957, my mom attempted an abortion and I'm happy to report it failed. Her and I were taken to the hospital. I was inside of her, taken to the hospital. And we stayed there until January 15, 1958, when I was born. And I'm happy to report after 60, almost 61 years later, I can now report as one who was attacked from the womb, survived, can report to you today that I've been very happy to have been granted life by the grace of God. Maybe you should consider letting someone else have that chance as well. God is your creator of life. A Bible says, Before I formed you in the womb, 
I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Jeremiah 1.5 For you created my envious being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works is wonderful. I know that full well. My friend was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. And I was thrown together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes are my unformed body. All the days ordained for me was written in your book, for one of them came to be. Now I'm 139, 14 from 16. For I know the plans I have for you, cares the Lord. Plans past for you, for not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Yeah, so I came thinking I was going to be here for a year, and I showed up, and everything fell apart. And uh, I was walking the streets of L.A. by a taco truck. All these people can relate to what I'm talking about, these sites in L.A., yes. you know. They're walking by a taco <laughs> truck, seeing people eating at the taco truck, seeing homeless people digging into the garbage dumpsters. And that night, I walked to Echo Park. I began to pray. I said, God, I'm the biggest failure in all the world. Sometimes mm -hmm. the best thing you can do is tell God every honest feeling in your heart. And that night, God spoke a word to me. He said, you're not a failure, but you just need to die to your dream. Die to your dream and plan of being a success. I never want you to think about the word success ever again as long as you live. Right. And I want you to live to the dream of being a blessing. Right. And that night, I died to my dream, and I picked up something that was better, the cause of Christ. Oof. And I realized the Bible said, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Yeah. Those 12 words changed my life. And I went home, and I drew a line down those words. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct my path. And I said, God, I am never going to stand on the line of trying to direct my path ever again. Wow. I'm going to stand on the six words of those 12, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Right. And that's where the journey began. I went back to the um, little church. We got our first apartment open. We started taking in drug addicts whose lives were being wow. transformed. And then we got a second home. And before long, God began to give me a vision that I didn't even know that I had. I mean, some people come to L.A. and Hollywood, and they think that maybe their life's going to go in one direction, and everything dies, right, right. and everything falls apart. And yeah. sometimes your dream hits rock bottom. But can I tell you, rock bottom in the kingdom of God is not where, place, right. it's not where things go to die. Yeah. In rock bottom, that's where God recreates things. Right. And my dream was recreated from showing up on Sunday and being a pastor that everybody wanted to hear mm. to now a city janitor walking through the streets of L.A., picking up broken pieces and telling people that they can dream again. Wow. And a few houses later, it, we turned into a 400,000-square-foot hospital now on the Hollywood Freeway, reaching every type of hurting need. 24 hours a day because wow. when I got the building yeah. I looked over the city and I said if the pimps can work 24 hours a day if the pushers can work 24 hours a day if the adult film ministry which is preying on runaway kids in Hollywood right. if they can work 24 hours a day why not have a church that will be open 24 hours that will take in people all hours and help them rebuild their dream in the middle of Hollywood a city of broken dreams.